Hello and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information and advisory services provider for emerging markets executives. We partner with business leaders at more than 200 multinationals by providing them with proprietary research, analytical tools, and data that helps power their emerging markets business strategies. The focus of today's podcast is FSG's 2020 outlook for Saudi Arabia. My name is Zeynep Kosere Solo. I am the Senior Analyst for the Middle East and North Africa Research Team at Frontier Strategy Group. I'm joined today by Matthew Spivak, who is our Director of Middle East and North Africa Research. Matthew, thanks for joining me. In April, Saudi Arabia announced the long-awaited Vision 2030 plan, which outlines how the country intends to revamp efforts to diversify the economy away from oil. A few weeks later, you were in Dubai and met with more than two dozen of our clients at a breakfast and through other meetings. Can you give us an idea of how the Saudi government's strategic vision was greeted by FSG clients? Yes. Uh, so uh, initially, it was actually not uh, received very well. Uh, 60% of executives that we polled uh, at the breakfast named Saudi Arabia um, as the Middle East Africa market that most worries them looking at uh, over the next 12 to 24 months. I think it's important to provide a little bit of context, though, on, on why we heard this. Uh, number one, if you speak with MENA-focused executives, many of them count Saudi Arabia uh, or rely on Saudi Arabia for uh, at least 30% of the revenue, but sometimes up to 50% or more of the revenue. So that's obviously huge. Any movement in the market um, will impact their ability to hit targets for this year and beyond. Uh, so that's an important factor there of why it's uh, concerning for them. Number two, uh, the Vision 2030 plan it doesn't really lay out any policies yet. Um, it's more of a blueprint. Uh, someone in the tradition of uh, the country's past five-year development plans, but obviously a much longer timescale, um, and it is extraordinarily ambitious in scope. So the, the letdown among senior executives, it's definitely understandable based on what we've heard so far, but it's way too early to judge whether this initiative is going to be successful. And before we go uh, into a little bit more detail of the Vision 2030 plan, can you describe why this major initiative is being enacted right now? Sure. So the last time oil prices crashed, it was the 1990s, uh, and the Saudis outlined uh, another ambitious plan, uh, and that was for economic cities. And it was really, again, just like now, it was in order to diversify the economy from oil. That initiative has uh, largely been unsuccessful, though. Again, now we have uh, another oil price crash. If you look at back to 2014, prices are uh, about 60 to 70% uh, lower than they were then. We're in an environment that has changed. So it's not the same as it was in the 1990s, early 2000s. This is important because it really hints that we won't see another return to big hikes in government spending like we did um, for Saudi Arabia in, in recent uh, years, um, overspending of the budget by 20%. Uh, those days are really behind us. And there, there's uh, really a few reasons for that. Number one, uh, the slowdown in, in China as well is uh, just not very strong growth in the Eurozone. Uh, very important for the global economy, for oil prices, uh, but also very important as trade partners to Saudi Arabia. Number two, the ascendancy of Iran. So Iran as a threat is definitely something that is accelerating plans for Saudi Arabia to try to make sure that their economy is going to be positioned properly in the long term. And then number three, the, the power structure in Saudi Arabia, you could argue, is more centralized than it's been in its modern history, especially with the deputy crown prince, uh, Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman. Um, his uh, control over security, over the economy, uh, is really unprecedented, uh, and that allows him to push forward 
this initiative, which is really something that, that he has uh, supported. Uh, the plan is, is a culmination of at least a year of internal reviews that have been undertaken uh, by Saudi Arabia. It's an initiative uh, that, from its conception, uh, has been led by the Deputy Crown Prince. Um, the Deputy Crown Prince, of course, being uh, King Salman's son. And the government has reportedly paid uh, consultants like uh, McKinsey more than $1 billion to assist in, in constructing this plan. So a lot has gone into uh, before what we've actually seen about the plan, and there's going to be a lot more that's going to need to go into it as well. Mm-hmm. And can you outline some of the goals in the Vision 2030 plan that are most relevant for our clients? Yeah, there are a lot. So there are a lot of goals. The document's nearly 90 pages long, and it's almost entirely goals. So, you know, there are some sector-specific goals that will be more appropriate to certain companies. But what we're keeping a close eye on uh, is the move toward boosting non-oil revenue, because this we see as one of the keys to success or potentially uh, where uh, this economic diversification plan is going to fail, at least from an economic perspective. Uh, Diversification of government revenue, uh, really critical for uh, companies because it provides a rough timetable of uh, what to expect from the Saudi economy over the next five years. We hear Lots of questions in the Middle East, North Africa, and I know you've heard these questions with Egypt on timing when, when there's a big change in a market, and this is something that will help companies understand timing in Saudi Arabia. Uh, you know, for instance, uh, the VAT, uh, looking at the, the tax that they're looking to, to put into place, it's supposed to bring in uh, $10 billion uh, a year in revenue, uh, so that's going to be important for a non-oil revenue perspective, but it might not be implemented until uh, 2018, so there's a little bit of a delay there. Um, we also don't expect the Aramco uh, partial privatization uh, or new proposed green cards program, uh, both will be important for revenue, to be instituted at least in 2016. Uh, and that means uh, the help that they'd give uh, for new revenues uh, will take a while to take effect. We believe um, it might not be until uh, mid-2018, maybe 2019, until you see a big enough difference uh, that it's actually really boosting uh, the economy. And when I say that, obviously referring to the non-oil revenue. By the way, this is reflected in our latest forecast revisions for the Saudi market when we're looking at what we expect uh, from a growth perspective um, and not really seeing a lot through at least 2017. Uh, Companies should consider how this impacts uh, their three-year plans and and really beyond that, the targets that they're setting, uh, not only for Saudi Arabia, but for MENA as a whole. Mm-hmm. And so it seems we're looking at a pretty gradual change in Saudi Arabia, uh, a few years of, uh, of uh, kind of actual change to see in the, in the market. What will it take for Vision 2030 to be successful in this period? Yeah, there's, there's obviously a lot of factors. What, what we're focused on the most right now and what we're tracking is, uh, number one, just the government's capacity to, to be able to um, undertake these projects, um, the, the complexity of what they've already done as far as reviewing um, you know, spending overlays and trying to figure out what is the best way to be efficient, to attract foreign investment, and to obviously get a buy-in for this. What will be very important to support capacity is the next area that we're looking at for success, which is just partnerships. So how the government is able to partner and work with Saudi companies, foreign companies, foreign uh, agencies uh, that will uh, potentially lend, lend assistance. This is going to be critical because of the transfer that is needed of expertise, technology, skills. Then the the third area that we're looking at that will be important for success of Vision 2030 is really just the buy-in from Saudi citizens. Um, this, this is 
really critically important uh, given uh, the change of the social contract that has been in place in Saudi Arabia from uh, the beginning, uh, which is having um, cheap uh, oil, um, affordable uh, food and education, other things taken care of uh, by the government in exchange for cooperation and supporting that government. That is something that's changing right now with subsidy reforms, with taxes that are going to be put in place, and also with a lot more uh, urgency for uh, Saudi nationals to find jobs in the private sector. Um, It's also going to take a little bit of luck uh, because obviously Saudi Arabia does have some say uh, in where we see oil prices from a a supply perspective, um, and their oversupply of the market right now is one of the factors that's keeping uh, prices down. Uh, But you do need global demand, obviously, uh, for, for oil prices to remain at the levels they are now, to move up, or at least to not move down. Finally, uh, the government is actually going to really have to improve upon uh, transparency. And that, I would say, is something that's going to be important immediately. Um, If they want foreign companies to be able to prepare for the changes that are coming uh, and to be future partners, uh, there needs to be much more predictability in timing, um, in content of reforms, regulations, taxes, other measures that are going to be coming up. This has been a challenge for a long time in Saudi Arabia, uh, but it has been especially acute over the last year when whole segments of the economy seemed to unofficially grind to a halt uh, while the government was reviewing projects. So it seems a lot of factors uh, will contribute to the success of this, uh, of this plan. Do we think Vision 2030 will be successful? Well, we do believe success is possible, uh, but it's going to be um, an incremental process, as, as you mentioned before. This is a historic transformation, uh, and historic transformations don't happen at the speed of business. Uh, Also, uh, it makes sense to be cautious right now from a company perspective uh, regarding whether uh, the vision will be um, successful uh, because we are only in the first days, weeks of this initiative. It could even depend on how you define success. From the perspective of um, the Saudi economy, uh, it could be on the right path. Um, even though it does not actually achieve a lot of the goals that have been outlined in the, uh, in the plan, it could be uh, something that is so positive for the economy as well as for foreign investors. Regardless of all this, though, with external uh, macroeconomic headwinds and serious demographic problems, there's no turning back. And the question is really going to be whether the government is able to implement its reform agenda in a transparent way uh, to promote public-private sector cooperation uh, and maintain the support of Saudi citizens. So it seems as the government goes through this transition, we will be seeing a slowdown in, in growth as well because of these, uh, these reforms that the government plans to make. What type of actions can senior executives take in the face of a, of a slow growth but still highly competitive environment? You mentioned Saudi Arabia is still very important for our, all of our clients. Um, what, can our, um, what can senior executives do in this context? Important question. In the context of such a dramatic economic transformation, in the slow growth environment, uh, companies definitely are going to significantly need to adjust their expectations on the market. Uh, you, you made the point rightfully so. This still is a critical market for, for the MENA portfolio. It still is the most important market for most uh, companies. But the expectations, how you approach the market, are going to need to be at least reassessed, if not potentially overhauled for some companies. Companies that prioritize localization, uh, market share gains, uh, operation excellence, they're going to be in a position to outmaneuver competitors that do fail to overhaul the strategy or at least to take a second look at it. Uh, one area that's going to be critical uh, is uh, reassessing the competitive landscape. So, for example, uh, if you're um, you know, a, a European company, uh, maybe in, let's say in the uh, pharmaceutical space, um, and there is a, uh, 
an Indian pharmaceutical company that was not a competitor three years ago. Um, they've spent the last three years doing what they can to improve the quality of their products, maybe to establish better relationships with the government. At the same time, now there's much more price sensitivity that we've seen in the market, and they might be a competitor now. So reassessing the competitive landscape, regardless of what sector you're in, will be really critical. Um, that's one thing that we've been talking about a lot with companies. Uh, we actually do examine uh, other actions, uh, like developing uh, partner capabilities, uh, adapting channel strategies. In our Saudi 2020 report out in June, uh, and definitely encourage uh, clients to read that. Thank you very much, um, Matthew, for uh, all of the, these interesting insights on the outlook for Saudi Arabia. As a reminder, FSG clients can speak to Matthew or any member of the FSG research team at any time by scheduling uh, with your uh, FSG client relationship director. You can also access our research, our leading indicator data, and all FSG content using our Frontier View dashboards and uh, with your Frontier View platform credentials. This concludes our podcast. We wish you great art performance in your emerging markets.